From Wyoming Public Media, this is Human Nature, real stories where humans and our habitat meet. I'm Megan Fury. This time, a man finds nature close to home. It's the way that nature is sold to us. It's sold to us in a way that, you know, you need to be somewhere. You need to be in some preserve in the middle of nowhere. When David Lindo was three years old, he went missing. I was taken to a party and clearly was bored. But I went for a walk. Apparently, I crossed a couple of really busy roads. The police were called. And eventually, I was found outside a cemetery watching magpies. You know, I was, I was a kid. I don't know. I have no idea why I did that. My mum was beside herself with worry, and um, she often recounts that story. That started a lifelong love of birds. David grew up in northwest London in a neighborhood called Wembley. West Indian immigrants, Irish, and no one around me had any interest whatsoever in nature. I don't know where it came from. I, I always say it came from a previous life. Wembley is a suburban area in Greater London, best known for its iconic Wembley Stadium. It's also one of the most ethnically and religiously diverse parts of the city. But it's not known for its nature. For David, he was a young black kid living in the middle of the city. The great outdoors felt a million miles away. I didn't have a big radius to travel in because I was only a kid. I was always told that nature was to be found in a countryside, but I was never able to get there because no one was there to take me there. So that's when I kind of looked around myself and inadvertently became an urban birder. My initial sort of hunting ground, for want of a better phrase, was my backyard. My bedroom overlooked the gardens and I noticed nature that way. I used to keep notes of all the things I saw, and it kind of went from there, really. I just became very obsessed. One day I went to the library when I was about seven, and I found a book, a field identification guide, and I think it kind of went from there, really. I just wanted to learn as much as possible. By the age of eight or nine, I was a, a walking encyclopedia. When I was a little bit older, I would go to a local park around the corner, which was nothing special, to be honest. It was just a, a normal municipal park. But then I found again that there were a different set of birds in addition to what I saw in my garden. And I guess I always knew that there were interesting things to be seen in urban areas. One of the things I always think about is the fact that I have a favourite bird, which has been my favourite bird since I was seven when I first found the book in the library and it's a bird called a ring oozel. It's uh, black with a white crescent and basically when I was a kid I remember reading about this bird. They're only found in the very wild areas of Britain. They're hard to see, they're very shy 
but I just thought, wow, I just want to see this bird. It's so familiar yet so mysterious. But when will I ever get to see that? When will I ever get taken to Scotland or Wales or the West Country in England? I saw my very first spring oozle in London on my local patch. For 15 or 16 years, I would be in my patch and I would see at least one a year. And it almost felt as if it came, landed on a tree and said hello to me. I just had this thing with this bird. And it's not even a glamorous bird to look at, just something so spiritually connecting. David took detailed notes in his journal, but that was his only piece of equipment. When I was a kid, I had nothing, so I used my eyes. But then he discovered the Royal Society for the Protection of Birds. They had a junior branch called the Young Ornithologists Club. But I remember haranguing my mother to spend the eight pounds, which was a lot of money for her in those days because we didn't have much, to pay for my membership. His mother eventually gave in and signed David up. He was thrilled. The membership came with a magazine subscription, and David couldn't believe what he saw in his first issue. I saw these kids with binoculars around their necks, and I thought, what's that? I need that. And I remember one day walking to the store with my mum, and we passed the electronics store, and there was a pair of binoculars in the window, and I just said, Mum, I need these, I need these. I badgered her for about eight weeks, and in the end, she succumbed and she bought them, but she had to buy them in installments, um, and it cost 15 pounds. It wasn't that much, really, but again, we didn't have much money. So that was the best thing she did, really, because she got me these binoculars, and it kind of changed my world after that. David spent hours invested in his hobby, but it was a solitary experience. I had a lot of um, problems with people, especially other people of color, black kids around me, because they didn't understand why I wasn't doing the classic things that they were doing. I think there was this whole thing that it wasn't for people like me, it was for white people. Whereas I never saw any color barrier. I just saw it as something I was interested in, and that was that. I used to get a lot of ribbing for it, and I, I, I guess I kind of, after a while, put it on the back seat. David put birding aside during his teenage years. After he graduated, he took a job in advertising, but he wasn't happy. I had a couple of opportunities in my life to get involved in nature, and I ignored those calls. And I also felt maybe that there's no way a kid from London with no qualifications would ever be, you know, a biologist. But fate is a funny thing. David eventually found a job working as the head of membership for the British Trust of Ornithology. It's a scientific organization devoted to the study of birds. While there, David had gained quite a reputation amongst other birders, particularly for his interest in finding them in the city. One day, he was approached by Reader's Digest, 
That's a general interest magazine that's been around since like the 1920s. The magazine was doing a series of educational videos and wanted to feature David for a segment about urban birding. David said yes and really enjoyed it. But he never could have predicted what happened after. I really enjoyed presenting and I also knew that I, I, would, I had no kind of qualms about my knowledge. I knew I knew a lot. So I did this piece on their video and a TV executive was looking after her grandmother who had Alzheimer's and she thought, how can I entertain my grandmother? And she found this video, so she put it on and she saw me and she thought, oh, he looks interesting. She um, passed it on to the talent people at the BBC. Literally five years later, they contacted me and that's when I had my break. The BBC asked him to appear on their program, Springwatch. It's a TV series focused on British wildlife that's still running to this day. David was asked to talk about a local space in West London called Wormwood Scrubs, where he did a lot of birding. David was ecstatic, but he wanted a catchier name. Because I wanted to brand myself, I wanted to give myself a point of difference. He decided to call himself the Urban Birder. David knew he had something he could turn into a career. He created a website, got on social media, and then reached out to the biggest magazine in the UK to ask if he could write a column about birding. And they actually said, OK, and I've got a column to this day. It boosted David's confidence and gave him the courage to ask for things. He started getting a lot more writing gigs and television spots, and he gained recognition pretty quickly. His background in advertising also came in handy. I tried to get people who weren't interested in nature to come and listen to me. And I'd say, listen, guys, this is urban birding. This is amazing. You can do it, too. You don't need to have any experience. In fact, urban birding is like meditation. It's like yoga. It's like Pilates. You can do it. And people just jumped on it. The media loved it. And I built this brand, which is all about getting people in urban areas excited, really. It's all about love. It's all about making people or getting people to love their environment. It's been 16 years, and David's business is thriving. He's written multiple books and traveled the world, giving lectures and taking people on city bird tours. To David, it's surreal. I never imagined that birds would take me around the world. I'd never imagined that I could make a living from birds. For me, it's a vocation. For me, it's my only reason for living. For me, it's my passion. And that passion is infectious. David recently gave a talk in Erie, Pennsylvania. And I had a, a line of people afterwards for a book signing. I was signing some books and a lady came to me and she was in tears. And I said, what's the matter? She said, I'm just so emotional after hearing your passion. Moments like this mean a lot to David. 
because he knows he doesn't fit the stereotype of a bird watcher. Normally an older person, white, without doubt, probably middle class, so someone who's got money. Even now, when I meet people who aren't birders, I mean, sometimes someone might introduce me and say, oh, this is David, he knows lots about birds. You can see that person looking at me thinking, he doesn't look like a birder, plus he's a black guy. But the big thing is, it's the way that nature is sold to us. It's sold to us in a way that, you know, you need to be somewhere, you need to be in some preserve in the middle of nowhere. And it's often sold to us by white people which makes anyone of color watching this in downtown Detroit or whatever think, well, that looks nice, but there's no space for me there. I'm not going there because there's no role models. And I think a lot of the broadcasters, they stick to the traditional way of depicting nature. And that doesn't include it being presented by people of color. I've never in my life seen a program about wildlife in Africa, for example, presented by a person of color, never. It seems very colonial still. You have a, a white presenter, you know, walking around Kenya and he has a procession of black people behind him. I think this needs to change. And importantly, they very rarely, if ever, refer to urban wildlife. And I think that's where you need to start because most people live in urban areas. And to me, it's very simple. You make that connection, you make that bridge. Yes, that raccoon you've seen in your back garden also occurs in Yellowstone Park. We're kind of led to believe that we need to be in the middle of nowhere. But in reality, sometimes we need to be in the middle of somewhere. David was on the road when I spoke to him, but even from his hotel room, he was birding been watching a red-headed woodpecker. There's been a little sparrow sitting outside the window as well. There's this photo on David's website that I love. David's lying down on the sidewalk in jeans, sneakers, and a denim jacket. He's looking up through his binoculars as people walk by. It captures him and what he does so perfectly. Yeah, I was in Notting Hill at the time lying on the floor, and it's amazing how many people don't look up. You know, everyone's looking down at me, but not looking up. And that's really at the heart of David's message. Look up. Look around, even if it's just out your window. And that includes me. So I dug through the garage and found an old pair of binoculars, grabbed my husband, and we went to a local park just to see what we could find. All right, so we just got out of the car, and already we see four Canada geese, um, otherwise known as my husband's mortal enemies. <laughs> I just, they poop all over the ground, and I step on it when I'm running. <laughs> <laughs> I think they're quite beautiful, they though. They just yell at you. Don't you think they're beautiful, though? Uh-huh. Okay, well... <laughs> Okay, so we're in the park, and I can hear at least, like, three different kinds of birds chirping. They're birds. They're cute. Okay, so we were just walking in the park, not really seeing too much outside of the odd squirrel 
or a sparrow. And all of a sudden we rounded a corner and we came across all these nesting egrets, loons. There's probably there's probably there's probably like fifty of them over there. So they're across the lake in the middle in kind of like this this little island. And they're all roosting in the trees. And they're all black with these beautiful orange bills. Oh, here comes one. And they're so... I've never seen anything like this before. Like an interesting sound. That is really... I did not expect to see this at our local park. Right in the middle of the city. (laughs) As far as, like, starting out urban birding, I'd say this is... uh, this is a win. This is pretty yeah. neat. You know, it's urban birding when a man's on a run in jeans. <laughs> he is running in jeans and it's awfully hot. Yeah. For the record, they were double crested cormorants. Honestly, it was really cool. I never expected to see that in the middle of a city park. A few nights later, my husband and I heard an owl outside our bedroom. So did our cats, and they weren't really fans. I even spotted a golden eagle's nest on a nesting platform while taking a walk one evening. But it's also fun to watch more common birds like robins and pigeons. Their little personalities start to come out when you sit there long enough. Right now, our neighborhood is full of nesting swallows. My husband and I love to sit outside at night and watch them swoop past us. There's just something so magical about a warm summer evening filled with little chirping baby birds. I even got a text the other night from my husband saying he was standing in an underground parking garage that was filled with bird's nests. He was just watching and listening, something he would have never done before. It's really changed the way we view our surroundings. David's right. Nature is everywhere. We've invaded most, if not all, of the habitats in the world. But what we can try and do is, even though the rise of the city is something that cannot be stopped, we can at least try to create little spaces for nature. We need to protect nature because by protecting nature, we protect ourselves ultimately. For me, I get carried away. The moment I walk down a city street and I see a bird, then I'm away. Because for me, I could be anywhere in the world. I feel sometimes overwhelmed by all the things I'm looking at and it doesn't have to be anything exotic. It feels like the air is almost treacle. It's like I'm walking through this visceral substance that's pulling me in different directions. Look at me. Even if I've been there yesterday or been there every day of the week, I still feel excited. I feel like it's the first time every time I go out. Which is a great thing about nature. Just don't know what you're gonna see. Every day you can have a moment that can really stick with you. I think you need to celebrate life because you never know what's around the corner.
Our storyteller today was David Lindo. If you're interested in urban birding, David has literally written the book on it. Plus, he offers courses and tours. You can check it out on his website for more information. It's just theurbanbirder.com. But really, all you need to do is just start looking around more. You may be surprised by what you find. For photos and videos from this episode, follow us on social media. We're at Human Nature Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. On Twitter, we're at Human Nature Pod. And make sure you're subscribed to our newsletter. I write it myself and send it out with each episode. You can do that on our website, humannaturepodcast.org. I'm Megan Fury. This episode was produced by me, with help from Stephen Carroll and Will Walkie. Our theme song is by Caught a Ghost. Human Nature is a production of Wyoming Public Media. It's human.